Hi, friends, and thank you for joining Christ Church Online. We are in week two of our series called Life Designed by God, and leading us in our teaching today is our senior pastor, the Reverend Dr. Jared Ott. He will be teaching out of the book of Ephesians, reminding us that we have been formed for a reason. Here is his message. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning, church. Hey, I want to thank Abby for uh, giving her testimony this morning. That's powerful. You know, it's one of those things where it's really hard to talk about, as Robbie mentioned. But it's really wonderful that our church can be a, a church that really supports pro-life. It gets behind it. A lot of people ask, why do we spend last week, this week, and next week on this series every year? Is it because abortion is such a huge issue? Yeah, it is. But the bigger thing is that the Bible talks about how we all have a purpose in life. We're all formed for a reason. And that's why we do what we do. To remind us that life, uh, we're here because of God. And he knit us together in our mother's womb. We all have a purpose. We all have a plan. That's what this series is really all about. Life designed by God. So with that, let me pray for us. God, thanks for today. Thank you for the fact that we can hear folks like Abby who have got a story to tell. Father, thank you for the fact that we can be here as a church to get behind such a huge topic in our culture and world. Father, not because it's our own personal uh, thought process or uh, endeavor we want to pursue, but because you taught us in your word that you knit us together, that you formed us for a reason, that all life is designed by you, and that's why it's so important. So, Father, thank you that we can have the freedoms to be here to share that, to talk about that. Thank you for your word and how you teach us in your word, how you encourage us, inspire us, how you break those bondages of sin in our own life, Father, and that you renew us, restore us. So, Father, I pray for that even now. Those of us that are struggling in various ways, that you encourage us as we leave this place, knowing that you're in control, that you formed us for a reason, that everything we've ever been through, Father, has a purpose. So, Father, I pray that you speak through me now. I pray that my lips are your lips, my heart is your heart, and you impress upon us this message you want us to hear. And I ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, if you're here last week, you know, too, that um, Jason Burt with Silver Ink thing, a sexual absence program, you know, he was here. He was talking about how, you know, throughout his life, he didn't really find, I mean, not that he didn't have a whole lot of purpose, but he just kind of was going through the motions. He was building houses, and then finally he got that call to go into ministry. God's really used him, and now he's the president of Silver Ring Thing. So it's really wonderful. It's wonderful to hear from Abby and how you know, that God's got a plan for our life, that we're here for a reason. Can you imagine Abby going through that so many years ago and then being up here to encourage other young women uh, to, to seek that help, other young men and women seeking that help through Rachel's Vineyard? You know, it reminds us that we're all here for a reason. And we keep going back to the scripture throughout the last week, this week, and next about you knit us together in your mother's womb. And it reminded me a few weeks ago, I went over to the dry cleaners to pick up some suit jackets. And I had two suit jackets there. And uh, I went in, I said, yeah, I'm here to pick up my jackets. And they said, well, here's your three pieces. And I thought, three pieces? I only dropped off two. And then they handed me this gem. They said, uh, uh, Mr. Ott, here's your sweater. And uh, they looked at me kind of funny to prove that uh, it was my sweater. I put it on right in front of them. No, I did not. Um, but they gave me this little, this little sweater. I immediately recognized it. Yeah, it, was a, it was a sweater that my son had worn. Uh, the problem was that my son wore this when he was two. That was eight years ago. 
so I go to the dry cleaners thinking I'm going to get two suit jackets back, and I, and I get this thing, something that we haven't seen in eight years. So I didn't know if it was uh, Deb and I's dumb fault for not remembering that we had a sweater there, or maybe it was faulty business practice. I'm not really sure. But nonetheless, this is a sweater that... Uh, Nice sun wore. It's a tractor sweater, if you can't tell. Uh, it was knit by uh, Deb's grandmother. And if you ever had anything knit uh, from a grandmother or mother, you know that, you know, the thing weighs like 40 pounds. And uh, I think the knights during the uh, middle century wore it for their armor. But nonetheless, it's real heavy. And the closer you get, the closer you look at it, you realize, okay, it's not perfect. Okay, there's some, there's some lines that aren't exactly perfect. It's got some um, frayed things. Tractor's a little lopsided. You know, I don't... I don't think Deb's mother drank, grandmother drank, but you know, when she was making this, but there, there, there's some things that are a little out of place. Like there's, there's some, there's some, um, pulls in it and there's some, uh, uh, crooked lines, um, and a little dirty and it's a little roughed up, but I remember Deb's grandmother making this and I remember how long it took her to make this. Every thread, every needle was, was put together purposefully. So I brought it home. And I uh, showed my wife, and like any wife who's sentimental, she got teary-eyed, remembering our son wearing this sweater. And then I made that one mistake that every husband has done. Um, husbands, if you're listening, you ever say something when it comes out of your mouth that you kind of wish you didn't, like it was out there, and you wish you just could have pulled it back? I, I, I said to Deb while she was reminiscing over this, I said, you want me to get rid of it? been a long few weeks in our household the last few weeks and uh, still 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 dealing with that Deb went through uh, three reactions uh, pretty quickly it was a sense of shock and awe to uh, to to sadness to complete rage and uh, I then retracted the statement I meant you want me to get rid of it from my closet so we can hang it up on the wall uh, that's what I meant but it was a sweater a sweater a sweater is it's knit together purposefully. It, it's lost some use for us. But it hasn't lost any value. It's lost some use for us, but it hasn't lost any value. There's no, there's no tag in the sweater that says, wash in cold water. There's no, there's no tag anywhere on this that say, what size is it? It's not, it's not perfect, but it, has, it hasn't... It's lost some, value for, uh, some use for us, but it hasn't lost its value. It's not... Valuable because of its function. It's valuable because of its maker. Knit together, sewn together, purposefully, thoughtfully, out of love. It may not look like much. The closer you get, the more rough it looks. It's been through some stuff. It's been worn quite a bit. Some people would say, that sweater doesn't have a whole lot of use. It may not have a whole lot of use, but it's got a ton of value. You know, when we look at our own lives, a lot of us look at our own lives and go, you know, I've been through a lot of stuff. You look at Abby and go, man, she's been through a ton. You may look at your own life, and you may have not dealt with an abortion, but you may be going through a lot of the same struggles she went through. Hopelessness, despair, discouragement, frustrations, anxiety, envy, anger, addiction. You might be going through any one of those things. And you look at your own life and go, you know what? It just doesn't have a whole lot of use right now. What's powerful about this is that This sweater will always have value because it was knit together out of love, and so do you. So do you. You know, when we look at form for a reason, we look at people like Jason, who, you know, God's using so much. We look for people like Abby, God's using so much. People in our church, people around us, God's using so much. 
We go, how did, how did they get there? How do, you get from, how do you get from a place of like kind of despair to a place where God can really use you? And that's what this passage is all about, Ephesians 2. When we look at this passage, and Robbie's right, this is the, this is the, this is the whole thing of the gospel right here in 10 verses. If you ever want to understand what the gospel or humanity is about, you look at Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Because in that you see three parts very clearly. Very clearly. When you look at Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, you see, first off, we see what we were before Christ in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. What we were before Christ. And then what we see is what we are because of Christ. And then once we understand what we are because of Christ, then we understand what we'll do through Christ. Very clear. What we were, what we are, and what we'll do. Some people are asking that question, I I just want to know what my purpose in life. You can't understand your purpose if you don't exactly, if you don't know where you came from. So where do we come from? First off, where we were before Christ. If you look at verse 1, it says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin, in which you used to live. Then you follow the ways of the world, the rulers of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we are nature and deserving of wrath. So what is the human condition? First off, we see we're dead. Before Christ, we're absolutely dead. Verse 1, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Not kind of dead. Not sort of dead. Totally dead. In other words, totally dead. We couldn't be with God. He's so holy, we're dead. We're dead to him. That's the human condition. He can't be around sin, so we're dead. John Piper said, we're not in the morgue. Oh, excuse me, we're in the morgue, not the doghouse. In the doghouse, you can whimper and say sorry. What can you do when you're in the morgue? Nothing. It's the human condition. We're completely dead in sin. In other words, there's so much sin that we have in our life, we are completely dead. We're hopeless, we're lost. There's no hope, there's no peace. All those emotions that Abby talks about, we're all going to deal with them. If we don't have Christ, we're completely dead. Because what hope is there? You know, a lot of us will say, you know, people say, well, you know, well, they'll blame their parents for how they, where, where they are in life. I've sat down with many people in life who, who will sit down and tell me, you know, I'm miserable, I'm unhappy, I have anxieties, or I have addictions because of my parents or how I was raised. You know, if, if I would have just gone to this college, if my parents would have just talked to me about this, or if I would have just gone, if they would have just said this, I would have changed so much. And I said, you got to stop blaming your parents. I say, you know, they might be an influence on you, but it's totally, unfortunately, your fault because you're dead in sin. And so when people come in and talk to me in my office, the first thing I always talk about is, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Because the anxieties they have, the fears, the addictions, you're never going to change them. You're never going to change that unless you have the Lord at the center of your life. There may be temporary fixes, but you always go back to it. That's where we start. It's not about... The fact that people have set a bad example. That's what we call Pelagianism. People, people you may have never heard of that term, it's Pelagianism. That's, that's, hey, Adam just set a bad example when he sinned. We, just bad examples. We have the ability to do good. We just have bad examples around us. No, you don't. That's why when we talk about with children, you know, that famous verse, train up your child in the way they, they should go. If there's a way they should go, then there's a way that they would naturally go. Which is the wrong way. Making decisions selfishly. So first off, we have to understand we're dead. 
It's called total depravity. That's where that, that term comes from, that theological term. Total depravity means we're totally dead. We're totally lost. So first, we're dead. Not only are we dead, it gets worse as you look at verse 2. It gets worse. We're also enslaved. It says, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the rulers of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. So not only are we dead, but we're also enslaved. In which ways are we enslaved? First, through the world. There are influences around us. It doesn't take you, it doesn't take you, uh, by the time you get home, you'll see some kind of media or newspaper or radio that's encouraging you to live a certain way, isn't there? Hey, if you have this car, you'll be happy. If you have this kind of life, you'll be happy. If you have this kind of house, you'll be happy. If your team wins, you'll be happy. You just, the world, the influence around you, that's going to persuade you. It will. It's going to persuade you to live the way you want to live. It's got to make it worse. Our habits, our attitudes, our, prefer- our preferences. It's all about me in society, isn't it? Not only is it the world, but we're also sabotaged by the devil. It says, it says the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So the devil's there too. He's the one whispering in your ear. Maybe you've, you've heard this from time to time. Hey, once you get involved in ministry, you're thinking maybe I'll get involved and do something. Uh, I'll start serving here at the church or I'll reach out to my friends or neighbors. How many of you heard that whisper in your ear and go, you know what, don't do it. Don't do it. What if they find out that you have, you've led a life the way you've lived? What if they find out about the sin in your past? What if they find out that you don't have a perfect marriage? You haven't made the best decisions. What if they find out you've already been sleeping around? How in the world could you ever get involved in ministry? How in the world could you ever do anything good? What if they find out? You're worthless, you're hopeless, and then it leads to more despair. It's the devil whispering in our ears. That's what the scripture says. So not only are we enslaved through the world, not only enslaved through the devil, but we're also enslaved through our own flesh, aren't we? It says the cravings of our sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts. We all desire certain things. Our body says, yes, if you get that, that you'll be good. If you sleep there, it'll be good. If you own that, it'll be good. If you drink that, it'll be good. You'll be happy. All those things. So we're dead, our humanity, we're dead, and we're enslaved. And not only that, we're also condemned. Look at verse 3. Like the rest, we are by nature deserving wrath. So because God's so holy and we have sin, there's nothing we can do about it. It only gets worse the way we go through life. Now we're condemned. We can't be in heaven with him. We're condemned to be in hell forever when we die. If this isn't the most encouraging message you've heard all week... I just want to say, hey, have a great Sunday afternoon. Enjoy. We'll see you next week. It's horrible, isn't it? It's humanity. The first three verses here. It's who we were before Christ. But thank God for verse 4. Thank God for verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy. What we are because of Christ. But because of his great love for us, God in his mercy made us alive with Christ, even when we are dead in transgressions. You know, the, the two greatest words in the, all the Bible are right here. But God. Have to be. In fact, it's so powerful that Bob Mason, our pastor of small groups, came to my office a few uh, about a year or so ago and gave me a huge framed picture. It's awesome. It's in my office right now. And it says right in the front, but God, just like that. And it has all the scriptures behind it that talk about but God, but God through his mercy, but God through his love. It's the greatest 
two words in the Bible because we're dead. There's nothing we could do about it. But God in his love came to us. It's the two greatest words in the Bible. Somebody once said, uh, they would say to me, hey, you know what? Life isn't fair. I said, if life was fair, we'd all be going to hell. If life was fair, we'd all be going to hell. Because that's the first three verses. That's what humanity is. We're dead, we're enslaved, we're condemned. That's fair. God, though, loves us so much that he came. He came. He came because of his great love for us. God, who's rich in his mercy, made us alive with Christ, even while we are in transgressions. It is by grace that you are, it is by grace that you're saved. You know, one of the things that's powerful about this is when did he come? It's not when we were starting to do good. It says he came, he made us alive in Christ even when we were dead. It's not like we started to do good things. It's not like we started to live our life after him. It's not like we, start, we started to avoid those things that could cause us uh, into anxiety or addictions. It's not like we started to move in that direction and then God came. No, it's while we were completely and utterly dead that he came. And that's when he, that's when he came. And it has, the reason is, is because of his love for us. It has nothing to do with what we've done, too. It's because of his love for us. It's not about works. It's not because we started coming to church or reading our Bibles or giving or maybe we started to do some good things for the people around us. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with his love for us. So we were dead, enslaved, and condemned. Now we're alive, free, and enthroned. How encouraging is that? That's the encouragement. That's what happened. I love it. Somebody, I don't know where this quote came from, but I love it. Somebody said, cheer up. You're worse than you think you are. But God's grace is greater than you can ever imagine. Isn't it, we, we're constantly thinking about all the bad things going on in life. Our finances are a mess. Our marriage is a mess. You know, we have anxieties. We have fears. We're, we're unsure of the future. We've got addictions. And we look at our life and we keep talking about how bad it is. Well, guess what? You're worse than you think you are. It's worse than that. Not only have you got these, this sin that leads to all kinds of issues in life, it's worse than that. Not only that, but you're enslaved, it's going to happen forever, and when you die, if you don't have a relationship with the Lord, you're going to hell. Isn't that horrible? It's worse than you think it are. But God's grace is greater than you can ever imagine. Church, I, I want to encourage you. If you're going through some stuff, you've been trying to, you're dealing with it, if you don't have a relationship with the Lord, it's not going to go, get very far. Because it's our human nature. It's our human nature to follow after those things. And I love what Dr. Ed Glover, one of our, uh, on our preaching team here, always talks about the ABCs. First, we've got to accept. You've got to accept that you're, you have sin in your life. It's nothing that you've done. It's sin in your own life. And there's nothing you can do about it. And you accept the fact that because of that sin, you can't be with God when you die. Then you believe, bees believe, believe that God loved you so much that he sent his own son to die for you in your place. Then you confess, confess that, Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me. I cleanse me of my sin. I put my faith and trust in you. I hope my prayer is that you would do that before you'd even leave here today. It's a, it's a simple prayer of asking, believing, confessing, admitting that you're wrong. Believing that he sent his son. Putting your faith and trust in him. Isn't that wonderful? But God and his great love. And then we understand, because once we get to that point, once we understand who we were, what we are, then we can get to the point of what we'll do. What will we do? Look at verse 10. What a powerful verse. 
For we are God's handiwork, creating Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Isn't that great? Some people look at that and go, oh, we're supposed to do good works. That's going to earn salvation. It doesn't earn salvation. It's the result of it. That's why John 15, 8, so powerful. This to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Good works don't bring about discipleship. They prove it's genuine. They prove it's genuine. That's why we highlight so many things here at the church for you to get involved in. It's not because we think it's a good idea. It's because that's what God wants us to do, that we're all created uniquely. And we all have gifts to be able to share, whether it's in children's ministry. Maybe you have a gift of singing. Maybe you could do some stuff with our technical folks. Maybe you could help usher. Maybe you can just smile and greet people when they come in. It's not about we think it's a good idea. It's what the Bible says because we understand that we are formed for a reason. We all have gifts and abilities. God wants us to use them. I was talking with a gentleman this week who wants to get involved in ministry. doesn't want to be up front. I was a little concerned about his abilities, and I said, hey, listen, why don't you be part of our technical team? We're going to be on Cornerstone Television. We're going to be start recording these services, and uh, we got some spots on TV that we're going to be on, these services, and we really need some folks that can just push some buttons, that can control cameras, that can run some lights. So he's going to do it. The first step, though, is getting past the point of hearing the devil say, hey, you're not good enough, or you shouldn't get involved, or hey, be careful, don't get involved. What if they find out about you? They're going to find you that you're a fake or a hypocrite. I'm telling you what, if we all listened to that thought, Robbie wouldn't be up front. I wouldn't be up here. Brad, the worship team, none of us would be here. But we understand that God's, God's redeemed us, and he's taken all the bad stuff that we've ever done, and he's made it new. That's exactly what Abby's been talking about. All that bad stuff in life. Can you imagine her being up here now helping others? And maybe it's not just here at church. Maybe it's your home or your workplaces. I was thinking about this, that this week. There was a couple that's been in our church since 1997, the, day we, the year we opened the doors here uh, on our campus. And they were talking about their relationship with the Lord. And they talked about how coming to Christ's church was really where they accepted the Lord and grew in their faith. And they talked about how they heard John Guest's sermon. But they didn't attribute them coming to the Lord through John Guest, they actually gave all the praise and glory to the Lord and were so thankful for their neighbors because their neighbors were the ones that invited them to come to Christ Church. See, they had just moved to the area. They didn't know anybody. And their neighbor came up and said, you know what? I think you should come to church. I think you're going to be blessed by coming to church. And so they invited them to come and actually drove with them that day. They came, they accepted the Lord, and now they're growing in their faith. How powerful is that? In fact, a few months ago, if you remember, we were doing a congregational survey to talk about how we can communicate more effectively to our surrounding communities. And one of the things that we're finding out through that survey, it's remarkable, is that people come to Christ Church, not because of the radio, that's part of it, not because of the TV or our advertisement or the billboards, or not because of our properties or our ministries. In fact, the number one reason that people have come to Christ Church is because somebody invited them to come. Overwhelmingly so. Like 70%. What does that tell you? It tells us that by just inviting somebody, by going out on a limb and saying, you know what, I may not be able to share my testimony very clearly with you, but I, I have a, a love for you. God put me in positions where I'm around people in your workplaces, in your neighborhoods, where you can say, hey, why don't you come to church? I'm willing to bet that in churches across the country, the same thing is true. It's a matter of 
saying, you know what, it's not about my past, it's not about where I've been or the issues that I'm facing. God's going to use me. And I'm going to bear much fruit. Or God's handiwork. You know, we always we have classes that we have here too about where your gifts are. We want to encourage you. If you wonder where to get involved, we'll help you. Come to myself, Pastor Robbie, any one of the pastors. We'll talk about that, where your gifts are. We want to get you involved because we know God's created you for a purpose. And you can take that mess in life and use it for something good. Some of us feel like this sweater. It's kind of rough and been through some tough times. Still got a lot of value. You know, we're going to come to a close here. I'm going to invite the band to come up because we sing our last song and I tell you a story. This is a true story. I may have shared it in here before. This is 100 years ago. 100 years ago, there was a bunch of fishermen that were uh, at a seaside village in Scotland. And as guys do, you know, they were talking at the table, and they're kind of, uh, one of the guys was kind of flannel in his arms, um, uh, as some guys do. And uh, he was telling a story, and he raised his arms up real high, and he hit the, 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 uh, the server's tray with all the food on it. And the tray went flying into a white washed wall right behind her and so there was food all over this wall junky food that was just smeared all over this wall and the owner came out and said great now we're gonna have to paint this whole thing and there was a guy at the table next to him and said before you do it let me have a shot at it let me see if i can fix this and the owner said well, okay I, what do i have to lose go ahead and so the guy pulls out a suitcase true story and in his suitcase, he had some paintbrushes, a couple pencils, and a little thing of paint. And he goes over to the food on the wall and starts smearing the food and junk and all the condiments and all the food bits all around. And it starts to take shape. People start gathering around. And soon, you see a, a wooded scene. There's deer, squirrels, and all kinds of wildlife that are peering through this junky food on this wall. And he signs his name at the bottom. It was Sir Edward Lancier. He was a famous wildlife painter. And people gathered around to see this mural on this wall. And in fact, it stayed there for many, many years because it was beautiful. A wildlife painting. In the hands, a mistake can become a masterpiece. God can do the same. Over and over, he draws the disjointed blotches of our life and renders them an expression of his love. He takes our bad choices, our bad decisions, our failed marriages, our failed uh, points in life, and he makes it a masterpiece. Why? Because he can see the bigger picture. He can look at you and go, you know what? I know you've been through some tough times. I know that your life isn't perfect. That's okay. I'm going to use it for my good. Because in God's hands, it's a masterpiece. He already sees the finished project. So the next time you hear the devil whispering in your ear, hey, you can't do that. You're not good enough for that. Don't tell them about the Lord. Don't get involved at church. Don't get out there and serve. Don't do any good works. You remember that verse. You remember that verse that we just read. We are God's workmanship. He's the craftsman. He's the supreme artist. And he can do all kinds of stuff. We're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let's pray. God, thanks for today. Thank you for the fact that you could take our, our issues of life, our decisions we've made, even the fears that we have, the doubts we have, Father, you can transform them. 
So, Father, I pray that you do that now. Father, we give you praise and glory for the fact that where we were before you, where we are because of you, and where we will, what we'll do because of you. Father, I pray that you be with that one, two, maybe three people in here who have never given their life over to you. If that's you, it's as simple as praying a prayer, saying, Dear Lord Jesus, I understand I am in need of a Savior. I believe that you came, you died for me. You took my sin upon that cross. You died and you rose again three days later. I want to have a relationship with you. Come and wipe me clean. Thank you for saving me. Father, thank you for the fact that you, you take our, the stuff in life and you transform it and make it a beautiful work of art. Be with us, Father. Help us to be bold and courageous to do what you've called us to do. And I ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen.